So yes, we all have dark nights, absolutely. But those are some of the ways that you deal with it. Are you in principle in the right place? Should you be an entrepreneur? Are you optimizing for doing things that keeps you going? And not just, it cannot just be your business success. It has to be, what are you doing for that business success? And what does that mean for how you thrive as a, as a working human being, right? Welcome to the Business Philosopher with a New Podcast. I'm your host, Avash Naik. Our guest today is Chris Bach. Chris is originally from Copenhagen, Denmark, and has spent the last decade in Silicon Valley pioneering a new architecture for building sites, stores, and apps for the web. Today, this new architecture is used by the majority of enterprises. The company he co-founded to do this, Netlify, today has almost 5 million businesses and developers that run over 35 million sites, stores, and apps. He's very engaged in the web community and sits on a number of advisory and executive boards, besides being an avid angel investor. I'm pleased to have you on this podcast, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about Netlify and what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the story starts with um, I spent a, a, a bunch of, of, of years, a whole career in agencies, mm-hmm. and I was chief digital officer at the last agency I was in. And um, my co-founder sort of reached out to me with um, this notion that the underlying architecture of whatever solution, whether you're using Drupal or WordPress or Sitecore, an enterprise solution, more consumer-oriented, the architecture underneath was bound for change right. and do for change. And, um, and essentially, to understand what we're doing, you have to understand what it's coming from, mm-hmm. which was that the web was built on monoliths. And essentially, when you visit a website, um, you are visiting a single server somewhere right. that builds a version of that site for you and sends it back to you. And it's called a monolith because it uh, both the presentation layer, what you see, the UI that you can interact with, and the content management that a marketing coordinator may have used to update whatever they need, and all the technical stuff like template engines and all these other things was in one big program. And that program would have to run for every resident. Now, that was smart enough, right? That was how social internet came because if I leave a comment and you visit five seconds later, you can see that comment because it's building a contemporary version for you. But it also is a big bottleneck. It leaves a lot of code running exposed, so it's very insecure, um, unsecure. And... um, and it, you know, it, it's not very fast because you have to compute for every visitor. And because that origin, no matter where you are, you have to make a round trip to that. Mm-hmm. And so we started seeing the web in, in being challenged by walled gardens. So I like to tell the story of Steve Jobs when he first presented the iPhone. Right. It was on a PDF. Right? right. And all those icons that we today know, our Instagram and everything else, they were just shortcuts to websites. Mm-hmm. So the notion of having an app didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it was only on when we sort of collectively found out that pulling in the UI every time you turn a page was not going to scale. So the architecture wasn't fast enough, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, um, and, and we couldn't have, uh, our phones weren't fast enough and, and our broadband wasn't fast enough to speak to those, uh, uh, to speak to a server and, and, and pull in things as you go along. Sure. So we invented this way of saying, why don't we pre-build the application? Mm-hmm. Now we have an operating system on the iPhone, right. and that can just go and talk and, and run the application. And then 
that application can pull in anything that needs updating. Let's say comments or you're checking out. So of course you need to exchange your credit card information sure. and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> that was a better model. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we ended up with an app store, which is great for Apple, right? But not so good for the web. Sure. And and we started seeing other things like Facebook pages and so on sort of threaten the web mm -hmm. as an open standard yeah. uh, because it simply wasn't, the architecture was no longer good enough. Sure. And so we thought, why don't, why, why can't we take the same model mm -hmm. in principle that we apply for right. mobile apps and apply it to the web? Right. So the presentation layer, that UI, whatever you see, if you're on a fitness bike and there's an app there, mm -hmm. or if you're on a landing on a marketing page or you have developer documentation, or it's a big .com with commerce and all those things and you're logging in. So that presentation layer, um, we wanted to um, um, decouple from the back end. Right. And what that means is just that you can build this, uh, uh, the application itself, the shell of the website mm -hmm. independently of whatever you need from the back end or from the business logic. Sure. And that was it. Like, so there was this notion that instead of building a version of website for every visitor, mm -hmm. let's pre-build it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then let's, because it's pre-built, we can now have multiple points of origin all over the globe. Sure. So it's much faster. Yeah. Right. And then it doesn't, because it doesn't have to compute and it's always next door, so to speak. Absolutely. Right? It's also much, it's much more scalable yeah. because you don't have to build for everyone. Right. Sure. So if you get a lot of traffic all of a sudden, because you're on the front page or something, you don't have to worry about not having enough bandwidth or, or something like that. Right. Or right. enough compute power on your server. Sure. It'll just scale yeah. automatically. And lastly, uh, it's also a lot more secure because the build phase takes place on a developer's machine rather than exposed to the whole world mm -hmm. for every single business. Sure. Sure. So we thought, hey, this is much better, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing we saw was really it would revolutionize how all web applications and websites are built in the way that today, before this, sorry, um, you would have a developer um, make a change in a front end. Again, that's the UI. Mm -hmm. That's the interface that we click around. User interface, right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right. And then you would send that off for implementation. Right. So you have some sort of system and now you send this change there and then three months later, if you're lucky, you hear back from them and it doesn't really look like what you sent to them mm -hmm. uh, because it had to fit into the templates and so sure. on. In other words, in the old way, that front end had to fit into a back end. Mm -hmm. And it be, had to be made on the premise of how you make that backend or that system. Right. And that system might have been defined just from saying, hey, I have a marketing coordinator that needs to be able to, in a WYSIWYG editor, update a website. Sure. Like They don't know how to code. Right? right? And that's fine. You should get a system, a content management system that caters that. But why should that dictate everything else? Mm -hmm. And so in this new way, you would, instead of sending things for implementation, that UI would just pull in the information from a backend. Mm -hmm. Now that actually makes all the difference in the world because now the web developer, instead of sending something off, they can get it live. Right. And then whatever's live looks the way it looks, right? It's final. Right. And it just pulls in the information that could be pricing info on e-commerce goods or whatever it might be. Sure. And that was such a power play, right. right? Because I could all of a sudden see an agency world, holy smoke, mm -hmm. this is going to make a huge difference right. um, in time to market, right? Yeah. I'm no longer dependent on these uh, these backends, or uh, which have their own tickets and their own queues, and everything takes takes a while, right? Yeah. I can free up a web developer to 
instead of just cutting out Photoshop files and turning them into HTML, now they can actually build entire applications. Right. So, so that was a, 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 a longer premise here, but, sure. but it was really this notion of decoupling the web. Sure. And the last thing this would lead to a length I could see was what we today called composable architecture. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is that in a large enterprise, you often, in almost, if you look at a Fortune 500, they've all had these DXPs, digital experience platforms, which sure. essentially is one monolithic software package that has your analytics and your commerce and your content management and your site bill and all of these things. Mm -hmm. in one. The problem with that is that they're very expensive. Uh, they're very hard to, to install. It takes a long time, years. Mm -hmm. And now let's say you say, well, I have to go multilingual. I want to go into other markets. And my commerce module doesn't support that. Sure. Well, great. Now you have to change the entire monolith. Right. Right. But in this new world, the, the reason you would have to change all of it is because each of those components in the old world, like let's say I got a content management system from one place and a commerce system from another. Right. The output of both of them would have been a website. I only have one .com. So I get to choose which monolith I want. Sure. But it's one of them. Sure. But in the new world, again, they're just what we call headless APIs. Mm -hmm. That's backend no longer dictates the front end, as we talked about, right. right? So now I can just have all these and I can say, hey, that commerce module that needs to be multilingual, let me exchange that with a module that actually is without having to exchange everything sure. else. Now, that flexibility is a huge game changer mm -hmm. for enterprises. Right. Now, when we started this, we then looked at, okay, now we've done the due diligence. We took a technical insight and we sort of ran it through the motion of what if everyone uses this, what will it look like? And we could, it would look like a changed web, but uh, with, very with also very different practices for who would be footing the bill, sure. which is these enterprises, mm -hmm. right? Which want faster time to market. Um, they want flexibility. They want scalability. Sure. Uh, they want security. And all those things would be catered well. Right. By this, by this motion. Um, so now we are thinking, okay, if this is such a better way of, of doing this, why isn't everyone doing it? Yeah. And, and the notion we had here was two things, right? One, there was no ecosystem. Mm -hmm. You can't build a new, what we call a headless commerce right. or composable commerce, right. uh, when there's no commerce provider that's headless. Mm -hmm. So you could do e-commerce. Of course you could 10 years ago. Right. But only as what we call a monolith. Right? Only if you choose that e-commerce provider to do everything, mm -hmm. not in the new architecture. Right. The other thing was that once these are components, how do they talk together? Before that glue code, so to speak, was just there, right? right? Like it was part of the offering. You never thought about mm -hmm. it, right? Um, all the internal communications in an app, why would I be aware of it? Sure. There's no point in that. But now I have 12 different parts. How do they talk together? Mm -hmm. And so that you needed a new sort of workflow platform that would, where you could take those pieces and plug them in mm -hmm. and then that could translate that so to speak into a, a, a website or an application and publish it around the world sure. now we couldn't build an ecosystem because that would require hundreds of, of different players mm -hmm. but what we could do is is uh build uh, the platform okay and so that's what we did we launched netlify back in out of private beta in, in 2015 with this notion that hey we're providing this new automation platform and now the world can um, can come and and start building in this new way as hopefully an ecosystem will start evolving yeah. because this is a better way to build. It's a win-win-win for everyone involved. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so back then there was, when we started, I would say, let's say there were two companies, us and, and someone else that was in the content management mm -hmm. space. 
But if you fast forward today, um, there's 3,200 uh, companies, and that's being conservative, right? Because all the existing players that have commerce or uh, content management or anything like that have also gone headless right. uh, in their offerings, right. right? And I don't think you can find a newcomer in the last five years mm -hmm. at all right. in the software sure. as a service market that hasn't been built in this way. Right. So Gartner last January was saying that 70% of all uh, uh, web applications are built in this way. This uh, new uh, way with, with, with the new architecture. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, 70% of all enterprises would be building with this architecture last year. I think the number is probably closer to 90% now. Right. So it's really becoming default. And we see it in Netlify's own numbers. I mean, we raised a quarter billion dollars from Kleiner Perkins mm -hmm. and Andreessen Horowitz and a bunch of, 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 of sort of uh, uh, well-known institutional investors sort of giving the, the, the validity of, of this is a space that they also wanted to invest in. But also... Um, we have almost 5 million uh, businesses and developers in the platform, and we're running more than 35 million sites, stores, and apps today. So we also see this volume. Yeah. Um, and, and so this has really gone to a place where now it becomes relevant for the enterprises, simply because that ecosystem has now become big enough that you can get all the parts. Mm -hmm. So now you can actually go to an enterprise and say, we can replace our stack with a composable standard. Sure. Whereas before... When we started, it was more for blocks, right? It was much more of a developer bottom-up saturation play where we had to get into the tool builds of as many developers as possible sure. because otherwise it would be hard to... Um, like, there wasn't an ecosystem, so let's start by having them play around with it, build a blog, take it to work, mm -hmm. and then use it for a bit more and more. And then, like, that sort of grassroots movement would hopefully lead to an, an ecosystem that that would be taken seriously by enterprises, and so on. And that's really the journey that, that we bet on, that we all have also seen unfold in the, in the last decade. Okay. Sure. What I find fascinating, so this architecture, this standard, is something that you developed, more or less. This is, that was your invention, the new architecture that is now being accepted by these enterprises. So I would say what we did, we named it the Jamstack, right? right? Um, I think this was... Uh, Drawing a circle around a bunch of trends. So the internet browser that we all use right. had become a lot more powerful. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, um, in other words, it had become a full-fledged operating system. When we first started with internet browsers, they were just document viewers. You mm -hmm. know? Um, but now they are full-fledged operating systems. So in other words, the runtime, so to speak, could be done in the browser. That means that I can send a site to you and then your browser will will run the site and then pull in whatever information it needs, sure. uh, just like we could on that phone that I mentioned mm -hmm. in the beginning. So that evolution, of course, of course, not our evolution, right? But we took advantage of that. We took advantage of what we call the API economy with standalone services like Twilio and Stripe and PayPal and so mm -hmm. on. And we took advantage of a new way of working with, with code, which is called Get, which is all about version, versioning in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And, and also that, that these powerful JavaScript frameworks that could be rendered in the browser were coming along as well. Sure. So what we did was not really invent those individual parts, but more sort of make a line around it, draw a circle around and saying, hey, combined, you, you this will collected lead them. Yes. To, exactly to a new way of building. And if we put effort and focus onto this, it could become everything. And so, so this notion of, of really sort of formalizing the play towards how do we decouple the front end from the back end, that was something that we very much had a, had a, had a sort of governing Absolutely. hand in, in pioneering. And then you build a platform with, with those practices and, and those tools. 
put them together in a platform. So, yes. And that's your offering. The offering of Netlify is the glue. Right. So we don't have the different components, okay. right? So we take whatever AI components and whatever built tools and whatever commerce solutions and co uh, content solutions and all those different things, and we can sort of put it into a platform mm -hmm. that automates all the operations of those away sure. uh, by turning all that infrastructure into code. So you can now plug those things in and we sort of, so to speak, turn them into uh, an application or a site and we make it uh, available for the world. Sure. So, so looking at it from my perspective, for example, I have a desktop here and my desktop would basically, with the old architecture, it would have to, let, there might be a, a server in San Francisco, I'm here in Washington, DC, my desktop, my computer here, if, you, if it wants to load an application or a website, it goes all the way out to the San Francisco server through all the nodes and whatever is there on the net exactly. and then loads that back. Um, and, and there's yeah. obviously the first issue with that is that there's a delay, huge delay because of the yeah. physical distance. So right there. So, yeah. and, and what you've done, and along with that, there is a whole bunch of stuff because everything is fitting into that one server your your transaction yeah. processing and and the whole platform the, the security software the code the AP, what you call api application program interface so everything that yeah. makes those applications run is going all the way to that server and my browser here on the desktop is going to have to put all that back in the day i don't know when when i was a network engineer chris uh, um, if you indulge me a little bit, you know. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm a recurring techie, so you have to hold me back a little bit. I, I, I well, once I go. get off, I start. I, I love technology, and I, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. So you, you're gonna have to pull me back a little bit, or you know, it's just a reminder to myself to pull myself a bit, a bit back. But we used to say that TCP/IP, what the, the protocol that we use for the internet, and the trans, is the transmission control protocol or something like that, and and, and internet protocol. So that protocol was was uh, too chatty for actually the internet for which it's it being it got ultimately became used for, right? Mm -hmm. So back in the days we used to say that that is you know the protocol the, the protocol by the way for the listeners it's a it's a it's a language for the computers to talk talk to each other. That you were mentioning the presentation layer right of the the model. Mm -hmm. So uh, and and we used to say that that's really not designed for the internet. It was designed for other purposes, and uh, because of that. But then we're stuck with TCP/IP now. So, and we're stuck with the architecture that the internet got built on. It's just it just had its momentum, and that's how it it, yeah. it happened. And we're not going back to uh, because at the time we had better protocols. You know, we could have chosen something other than the protocol that internet started. That's correct. Right? So what you've done is is uh, the genius of what you've done is that you know when you when you have a uh, an invention or when you have a revolution, uh, back in the day we used to study the, the theory of revolu uh, revolutions. Uh, you know they uh -huh. would talk about the paradigm shift. You know you you're looking at things in one way and then now you look at it some that same thing in a different way like the internal the the, the combustion engine right the yeah, the internal combustion engine. If you want to go to the electric grids. Uh -huh. You, you have to change the whole infrastructure to support that, right? You had to rip out more or less the old infrastructure and put the new ones in. And what you ended up doing with what you did was that you kept, that's the revolution in what you're doing. You kept that old infrastructure. The legacy infrastructure yeah. is still there. But you brought in a bunch of tools. You, you, you did your magic between this desktop and that server 
that allowed yeah. you to, you know, you call it the glue, to to create a, a not just an architecture, yeah. but also a stack on top of that, your your own offering or your, your platform. Yeah. That allows you to bypass that that legacy thing. Um, and it, so yeah. so that now my desktop is not going all the way out to the server. It's going all, only to what you guys call, I think, in yeah. technology, uh, the edge of the cloud, meaning that you, you're going to a computer. Yeah. So my desktop is going to go to probably a server here in Ashburn exactly. or something like that. Exactly. And pull that data. Exactly. Now you had, yeah. you know, we had something called CDN, right? Content Delivery Network. But you, exactly. and you, I think you probably built on top of that. I'm assuming, but it it doesn't yeah. do what you guys do. It, it 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 is part of the way, but exactly. But it's it's not. It, it does. No, you what you said we we pulled that. You do the build and then put that out to the edge, so that I'm pulling the, yeah. the whole thing from the edge, and I'm not going well. So do I have this right? I mean, yes, yeah, absolutely, right? I think this, this notion was also that if you wanted a CDN, right. right, like if you really wanted international performance, right. like Google or Facebook, you had to be Google or Facebook right. just a few years before. Sure. Right? And so the notion was that that when we started, and we would have needed hundreds of millions just to get started, right? right? But, but when we started, now you had these data centers. Mm -hmm. And these data centers, we could build our points of presence on. So we could utilize the Amazons, Rackspace, Google Compute, sure. uh, uh, you know, Alibaba, like all those different providers out there yeah. and built virtually on top mm -hmm. of it. So we didn't have our own metal. And then the CDNs, as you mentioned, they were there, but they were constant delivery networks. Sure. So they were saying, oh, I have this heavy image mm -hmm. file. Let me not run that out of a single Oracle sure. server somewhere, yeah. right? Like, let me have that locally cached. Mm -hmm. The problem was that the application itself had to come from a server. So even though I can get the images locally, I would still need that round trip Absolutely. to the server to make sure yeah. that. And so my time to first byte suffered quite a bit, right? And then all the caching on those CDNs and so on was quite manual. Sure, sure. Now, what we invented was more sort of the application delivery network. So we built our own CDN, you can say, that was catering smaller files, mm -hmm. not just big image sure. files, but smaller mm -hmm. files and catering running an application. And so that was a real technical feat because that's really hard to do. Um, but, we, but we managed to be able to do that. And today it's a pretty sort of industry standard way of doing things, sure. right? But but that notion of being able to, to have a distributed origin right. rather than saying, hey, I'm distributing part of my media files, but my origin still has a single sure. port. And, and that's what made it a lot faster. But you're right. We... Um, we did this on with on existing standards to some extent, mm -hmm. right? An existing infrastructure, and another thing is that the way we we you you use Git was that you you know you upload something, someone else has to come in and approve it, download it, build it out, check that you have a staging environment running and configure that correctly, and then upload it, and then now you're live, sure. right? And what we did was saying, no, you do exact. We're not changing your habits, but when you upload to Git, you're done, right? We can take and automate all the steps after mm -hmm. that. So we take it, we post-process and optimize it. We build it out and redistribute it all over the world, and you automatically just get a URL sure. back in the back. So there is no staging environments. There's no sending something off to a system administrator and waiting for a ticket and, and having sure. that in their next sprint. It's just live. And so that's also why we were able to take off, because we were not asking anyone to change their habits. We're just saying, hey, you know, those 75%, like once you've actually done the fun stuff, which is writing mm -hmm. stuff, we can take it from there and you're done. Like all the maintenance and all the operations. 
And I often sit even today and explain to, to enterprises, it's not because we do managed services. We're not managing your hosting and your operation. Mm-hmm. We automate it away. It's abstracted away. It's just code. Sure. So before, when you send something off for, um, um, for, for going for, to production and going live, mm-hmm. right? You have all these different steps. You also have, you know, um, you know, your DevOps setting varnish caching or something like that, which needs to be very hand rolled and, and configured. And that needs to go on after it's live as right. well. You have your infrastructure engineers that operates very expensive software on the edge and mm-hmm. so on. And all of that is just code. Sure. It's just part of that repo. So it's just part of whatever your web developers pushes live when they push that, that code up. And that's it, right? And so the huge savings really comes in in not having to do those things because it's been automated, right? And so that's just been our mission of pushing that along, of saying one thing is that we tie all those things together. Yeah. But to really complete the revolution, we, we have to stop that motion of you saying, well, why does it take four months to move the blue square from here to here, which most marketers will know sure. is a fact, sure. right? Well, it's not because it takes four months to move it, but it's because whenever that change is done in a few minutes, then you send it off for someone that has to put it into a staging environment and they have their tickets and their sprints. And then you have the database administrators and then you have your Q&A and you have your security scans and you have your info. Oh my goodness, right? right? And it just runs up. And and all of those steps with us is is automated mm-hmm. away. Like sure. that, all that operation just becomes code, right? And I think like, but when when something really resonates is when the, the when the magic moment is quick mm-hmm. for developers magic moment you said and when you're not trying to change too much right when you're just saying hey do what you do mm-hmm. but all this all those steps afterwards done you don't even have to worry about it anymore. you you've just referred to a magic moment magic moment is the time you realize that this is it's it's basically uh, the marketing term for basically saying I'm glad I'm using this service and, and everything comes yeah. together, right? So, so yeah, for, for magic, magic moments for developers is really this notion of saying, is that it? Yeah, like, right. What, what about all the other things that I'm supposed to do? Oh, really? It's, it's just done. Oh, my yeah, goodness, you don't I'm have done. to do it. Right, yeah. absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you captured that because that's a really difficult to do. You, you have a very complex offering and uh, uh, it's, it's hard to explain sometimes. And yet your, your market gets it. Something I did mention in, in the intro, Chris, is the fact that now you're, you're about 250 employee company. Something about like that, that yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that when you started 10 years ago, you didn't have 250 employees. Is that correct? We had me and Matt and Matt I. Matt and you. That, and Matt is your partner. So Matt is my co-founder. Back in yeah. Copenhagen. So it's the question I have for you is who was, uh, who was your... Whose problem were you solving? Who was your customer? And, and I think um, the, the second question, what, what really was the problem that you set out to solve at the time? And is that the same problem that you're solving today? And whose problem was it? Who is the, who is the end user who is benefiting from this? I think like for us, in the beginning, we were saying that, that we want to introduce a, a new architecture to the web to make it viable again, sure. because it was a threatened standard, yeah. right? Um, and there was a lot of actual, like, real talk about will the web persist as a commercial right. standard? Will we just all be using these social platforms or apps or something like right. that, right? And, um, and, and so it was a very mission-driven company early on and saying that we have to save that web. And I think today that has changed, uh-huh. right? Because the, the front end has decoupled, right? right? Like, this notion has decoupled. And the web is very performant today and, and doesn't face the same sort of challenges, sure. I think. Um, but 
but it's very true. You have to sort of think about who will use this at end, right. who will foot the bill, and who are your immediate users. And for us, it was what we could see was that it was developers. It was the right kind of trend-setting developers that really got mm-hmm. it. Those were the ones that we wanted to 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 embrace what Netlify was sure. doing. Not just our product, but but this notion, right, of building in this way. And and so in the beginning, I had a list of like twenty people uh-huh. that were the choir, right. and we were not didn't need money from uh-huh. them, or, or not as investors, not as users. What all I all we wanted was just to say, okay, whoever you are, maybe you're a founder of a big mm-hmm. company, tech company, right. right? There was some there, like the founder of GitHub, mm-hmm. right, who also did, uh, you know, GitHub Pages and Jekyll right. and so on. Some Preston Werner, he was like super educated in this space and really got it. But there was also other people that maybe worked at an agency or something, but just had loud voices on social because they really believed in moving in Absolutely. this way, right? And, and what so we call the vision, we visionaries in, in the place. There, there's the visionaries and then right. there's it's people who like, follow them. Uh, but but in, you had that 10%, 20% of the market that's visionaries. Yeah. Right? They get it. Yeah, I mean, like in the, in the beginning, when you do a startup, product fit is everything, right? And so the, the notion was we need to get in front of these people mm-hmm. because we need to tell them about what we're doing. And if they don't see the value, at least 10 of them, right. um, then it's back to the drawing mm-hmm. board, right? right? these of all people should get sure. it. And those were, were, were found out of, again, the category existed in our heads only, right? right? So it's just when we're saying, hey, if, if this is the category, then who are the, the voices that needs to understand right. what we do? And then you go from in concentric circles from there, right? They're sort of the trendsetters and they got it. And they also ended up saying in, in several cases, hey, if you raise money, we'd love to come in as angel mm-hmm. investors. So they were helpful in convincing the institutional VCs to give us early, early capital, sure. right? But, but we didn't approach them uh, with that notion. We approached them just because we genuinely wanted to understand if what we were doing were, was just a good idea mm-hmm. in our heads. Sure. Um, and so, but, but again, in our case, and that's not always the case for many startups, that's not the case. But in our case, what even a full-fledged Netlify at that point would lack an ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? And so... Um, there wasn't enough there to build out huge enterprise applications. So everything was very self-architected by the ones that did. So like enterprises Mm -hmm. really embracing this. And so the notion was just get into the, as uh, as, as the tool bill of as many developers as possible. And they can use us for blogs and so on. We're not in there to make a lot of money right right now. We don't even want developers to really pay Mm -hmm. us. Like that's not the point, right? Uh, The point is to, to saturate that, and then as that ecosystem crystallizes, then Netlify is, is present as being this centralizing mm-hmm. layer. Um, and so we had all the focus on building out the category and, and creating those connections to early tech partners and pushing and helping that along. That's why I'm on all these advisory boards today and why I'm an, an, an angel investor right. in so many as well, right? To push that along, right? And then, of course, that changes, right? I think... For us, for example, what we saw was early on, it was the developers that needed to be able to do early mm-hmm. applications here. Now, they notoriously will care mostly about technology, mm-hmm. right? Early movers there, which is great. Like, that's not a criticism. It's just a statement of fact. Now, the next layers of users was, was the product owners and digital product owners, and, and that could be like marketers and so on right. as well that said, well, my, I'm not a developer, but I need to build out our new e-commerce. 
and I've heard of this headless mm-hmm. thing. And so now I want to go over here because I understand the, the values sure. of that. Now, they care about something a little different. So they care a lot about features. And they traditionally comes from a content and co- commerce space. So they will start yeah. with that. And then search and all these other things can be mm-hmm. plugged in. The reality is that in that mind, you don't have to start with that because now they're decoupled, right? right? So you could start anywhere. Yeah. But, but that's, the sort of the, that's the tradition they come from. And I think that was the that was the next layer of of people in our category that we had to deal with, and now we're seeing the the next layer again, which is more the CIOs and CTOs and, and so on that yeah. sits more with their enterprises, and they're saying, what happens if we with, if we're not just doing a, a greenfield uh, thing over sure. here? Um, this is not just a site. This is I want to think at what what does this mean for my mm-hmm. company if we embrace this at sure. scale? How does it change the way we run our infrastructure? Yeah. How does, like, right now we have all these different legacy stacks because we have mergers and acquisitions and we've been around for 20 years. And how do they, right now they're very siloed. Is there a way of, and we're always in a place of migrating from one to Mm -hmm. another, right? And it just keeps going, right? Is there a way to think about this where those things more coexist and so on, right? And so they're not thinking about a singular component or like a, you know, the flavor of, of framework yeah. or, or, or JavaScript or whatever, they're much more thinking about sort of how does this all fit together, yeah. right? Like what's Big what's picture. orchestration yeah. story here? Big picture and, and it's different considerations. It's standards and interoperability and sure. stuff like that, right? And so so all of that has evolved um, from the front-end developer being the only one that would tamper mm-hmm. with this and play around yeah. with it for their own projects to now becoming sort of um, you know part of very big enterprise decisions right if you look today at the most enterprises and i think this is where we're at right is that most business problems and i dare say this is a general statement has digital solutions today mm-hmm. and when that's the case and you look at the digital and it budgets in general right like your product i mean even if you're not thinking about well it's not an online store yeah your business is pretty digital, right. right? Like you're so dependent on your backend systems and how that system data is transported back and forth, how it's available for yeah. you, for your employees, for your clients, and so on, right? And and um, and I think that's the reality, right? And so these budgets are gigantic mm-hmm. today, and I think that that we're we're looking at a shift where if you really zoom out in a helicopter, and I'm going to be very generalizing mm-hmm. here, right? The last time we had a big shift was essentially saying, okay, we used to have all these servers in our basement and it would run this code that we bought on a CD-ROM from Microsoft and they would come and mm-hmm. install it, right? And that's how it is. And now we are u- using Google Compute Cloud or, or um, uh, you know, uh, Azure or AWS or whatever it is we're using um, instead, oh. right? But we did that because we wanted scalability. And now we did that because we wanted multitude of services and those were great reasons, but it was still like going to Home Depot. It was still this notion of going down there and getting the building blocks. And I think today complexity is just too big for that to be the case. So that's why platforms like Netlify is arriving where instead of you running your own infrastructure to cater 50 digital touch points and literally thousands of services, you're saying it's not about being better at setting varnish caching. It's about never having to do it again. Like it's about pure automation and having a workflow platform doing that for you. And of course, that looks different depending on where you are in the stack. But I really think that's where we are at today. That's what we are outselling. And that's how Netlify is being used at scale. So the, the name of the podcast that we're on 
the business philosopher within you, right? So the business philosopher aspect, and the people ask me, well, what is, who is a business philosopher? And I, my definition for that is basically a business philosopher does three things, right? The philosopher and the business part. So the philosopher does basically, they do their own independent, original, authentic thinking. Yeah. That's the first part. Second part is what they think about. They think about human condition and their problems. The third part, which is the business part of the business philosopher, the, yeah. the business philosopher basically yeah. takes this the understanding of the human condition and the problems that they face, and they come up with a marketable solution that is a an enterprise, a business entity that can stand in the marketplace with the profits and mm-hmm. loss and uh, revenues and market share and all the yeah. things. So they actually make the business philosophy, the, the, the philosophy, pure philosophy, they make it practical and applicable yeah. in the marketplace. And they bring solutions to the problems with their services and products. And in, in your case, that the platform that you developed. So yeah, now absolutely. people are okay with, most folks are, they're like, okay, they, they get the first one and the third one, right? But they, they, they push, push back a little bit on the second part, which is the understanding of the human condition, right? They say, well, a businessman doesn't, they yeah. don't want to understand that. And, I, and my response yeah. to that is, no, that's not true. Because if you're building a business, you, have a, you need to not just have a, a cursory surface understanding of the problem. You really yeah. need to go deep into understanding yeah. that problem. And, and then you had to keep going. You know, you, what you explain, like the ripple effect, you know, the, the, the concentric circles. You, know, you, you need to find someone whose problem you're solving and you truly deeply understand it. And if you, you haven't understood that, then you can't d- develop a product or service that they will buy or buy into, not necessarily with money, but support it. And, and so, uh, so, that, so you check off those three things for me. In, in my defi- definition, you are a, a business philosopher because you've done all those three things very successfully. So I don't know if you have any, any, any thoughts on that. I think what you're talking about is true. Like what we talk about in, in, in our world is, is very often like you start in many cases with a technical insight. Right. Right. right? And, and so there's, a, there's a technical insight. And preferably you feel it, the pain Pain, absolutely, yes. And then you have a technical insight of how you technically would right. solve it, right? Very often with code right. somehow. Sure, sure. And very often it's an abstraction yeah. of something else. Like there's an old joke of saying every SaaS startup starts with a solving an Excel spreadsheet problem, sure. right? And then you build from there. So, yeah, so um, there's an abstract problem but, that you're um, solving. And then you, you walk into somebody's uh, somebody's office and, and say, do you really have this problem? And then it becomes real. That's yeah. a real concrete problem with, with a human being with a problem. Yeah. Who, who, you know, yeah, I think who needs a solution basically. So yeah, I said like so. So I think like we talk about the, the there's a technical insight. Then there is the well, how does that translate into an actual product? Sure. Like okay, so there's a technical insight. I could fix this, but is that a product or is it a feature in another product? Like does it even want to stand alone? Yeah. And then there is the is this a business? Right. Right. Okay. Great now point. I can build a product, but is there like is there a viable way of selling this? Right. It, will people ever pay for it? In our case, we also said, well, okay. So if everyone's doing this from that technical sure. side, like let's say we decouple, what else would have to happen? Mm-hmm. Let's just play it out and saying the whole world is adopting this. Well, in that case, you would need headless CMSs and headless commerce in our world, like all these other companies would have to result from this. It would be a whole ecosystem, right? Um, and and understanding, and it, of course, it starts with saying, well, you would, you know, just because you have new architectures, 
the, the problems that were there before, let, let's say having a non-technical person update a mm -hmm. website, that persists, right. right? So that still needs to be solved. So how would that be solved in a new world, right? And so like that way of thinking out this avenue, I like thinking things to uh, in case of success. Sure. In case of success, this is what mm -hmm. would happen. And then you say, okay, does that vision make sense? Is that better for everyone? Is there enough winners here? Or is there just one commercial winner and the rest are paying a price? And if it feels like a win-win, then we re-engineer it, uh, reverse engineer that into, okay, what needs to happen no. then for that to right. happen? And then that should be the foundation for how the technical insight can become a product. You're saying, okay, well, we can't solve this, but we can solve this over yeah. here. Now you start thinking about how would I do that as a product? And if that's viable, you're saying, well, would that translate into a business? Because, okay, I'm facilitating a greater architecture in our case, right? And a, a, a journey towards something that's better for yeah. everyone. And, but will people pay me for it? Or is this even a viable way of thing of having separate from something else, right? Because that's another thing. A lot of people will try to build a product that is just very hard to sell in a standalone oh, notion. Yes because it becomes one more thing or it's because like, Hey, like I would want that to be part of this thing over here because in reality, your product should have been a feature in something that was mm -hmm. bigger. And like those things you really have to think through. And if, if those things check off, now you take that and you go and, and, and you try to get product market fit by showing it to the users and saying, Hey, would that, would that be helpful? And in the best cases, when you do developer tooling, you just built it. Like you built a very small MVP, and you're, you're saying, well, I, like, this is not successful if people pay me a lot of mm. money for it. No, this is successful if people want to use Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right? Or if people are excited about the potential, yes. right? So understand what success looks like, right? So I think that's another thing, right? And then once you start getting traction, in our case, we didn't raise up front. We actually scaled this to a quarter billion rep requests wow. for companies like Sequoia. And we were capital and something, uh -huh. right? Nine months into to this. Um, we would, yeah. I'm doing a quarter billion web request a month, right? And um, and we were selling dedicated account managers on the phone and running out of voices uh -huh. to make, right? right? Because, you know, uh, like there was only two uh -huh. of us, right? right? So like when you transfer it to Chris and they're like, you all have the same accent. <laughs> like, no, we don't. <laughs> right? Like, okay, Matt, we have to, like, there's no more hours in the day. We have to go raise some money. But <clears throat> that also, because we waited, gave us a bigger chance of, of coming out and being very firm. And this is a moonshot but it's based on real observations, real usage, yeah. right? And then you, of course, you go out and say, you're not giving us money so we can make a lot of money before we race the next right. time. No, you're giving us money so we can build this out so we can get further traction for developers. We probably won't really have monetized until when we get there next time, but that's not the right. point, right? And then later on, at some point, then revenue becomes important, right. right? Because now you're at a place where now the market has been built, there's people to pay for this. And, and in our case, the users and the people paying for it are not the same, right. right? The companies are the ones that get faster time to market and they get sites that performs better and convert higher because they load faster and all those kinds of things. And those are the ones that are paying for it because they're earning mm -hmm. from it, you know? Sure. Um, but they're only doing that because of the awareness brought up through developers. And so like all those things were very carefully and meticulously thought about and planned out, right? And I think that's our business philosophy and what do those steps look like? So I think I'm saying the same as you, but I, we, we were just calling it something sure, else, right? Sure, absolutely. And, and the complexity that you're dealing with is, is just phenomenal. So 
you you obviously had a vision at the at the at the time you started about ten years ago, and and here you are, right? Do you have a vision in the future? Uh, do you have a vision for five or ten years down the road where you want your company to? Yeah, be? absolutely, right. So, so for us in the beginning, it really was saying, "Hey, the web has to fight right. back," right? Yeah. Like we were. Con- the more due diligence we did, the more we were absolutely convinced that this was a better way. Not just because we could make a business, but it's just a better right. way. Like, yeah. without the business, sure. right? Um, this was really mission driven, and to a large extent, I think it's fair to say, fairly objectively, that we won. Like we, as in everyone that was part mm-hmm. of this, right? Because this is how the modern web right. is built. Like this is how modern digital applications are built. Congratulations, right? Which yeah. is great. Yeah. Well, thank you to yes. all of us, right? Because it's not Netlify's victory as much as it's right. just. It's just a, an architectural shift that's really good for everyone, right? And there's thousands of players, as I said, that's part of mm-hmm. this puzzle. So we no long, in no way have done this alone. Uh, I'm very excited about that. But as I mentioned before, what I, Netlify was born as to provide viable workflows in this mm-hmm. category. So we were not born to say, you should build in this way with this category or that way or use our product for, you know, because this is the right way to do commerce. It was much more sort of, we want to make the architecture viable. Mm-hmm. And I think that has kept on being the case where others came in and saying, no, our flavor of how to build this, that's what has to work. Right. And we were more sort of saying, no, you bring your flavor. Like that's going to change over right. time, right? Because new technology comes mm-hmm. all the time. We just want to make it easy for you to apply that. And I think what we're seeing now is that that, for that, for those individual developers, we made it, right? Now you can also build any of those new applications, uh, like the large DXPs I talked about with all these different components, because all of those components are now available in a, in a way that supports this new right. architecture. But again, for these larger companies that are sitting there and saying, well, you know what? I have all these different legacy stacks. For me, it's, it's let's take, uh, I don't know, Unilever, mm-hmm. right? They have, what, 600 brands in 200 countries? Like... I don't think I'm, I'm exaggerating. Right. I'm saying like, if anyone comes and pitch them one solution to fit it all, they'll just smile mm-hmm. politely and say, yeah, right. sure, that's not possible, right? We have 70,000 unique digital executions. But, but for someone in those, um, that's probably an extreme example, right? But for someone that's saying that, hey, like what I really would like is if some of those different generations and different software providers, if we could work more mm-hmm. together. If I, for example, didn't have to change sure. this CRM, I know I have to because it takes 50 seconds to query. And so when my people, uh, when my customers are searching for uh, cruise ship trips, mm-hmm. right, um, they, they can't wait a minute to right. get a result. So I need something new. But in reality, it works fine. But if there was a way to cache the results up front, for example, in some sort of layer, so it became instantly queryable from the website, now that would be great. Right. Now, I don't have to, ch- to change yeah. it, right? Like, it's in, in other words, my new solution would use part of my legacy mm-hmm. solution, right? And so... That's sort of where we need to take this next. Absolutely. And for Netlify, what that meant last year was we did a number of acquisitions in the space to be able to cater this new journey. And that's really where we're at now. So I think that that, that idea of decoupling the front end and, and making front end clouds has become, there's several players out there, us included, and, and it's fairly default. And now we're adding this extra layer for the architects right 
and, and the marketers that needs visual editing outside of a single CMS and so on, Absolutely. right? And and so it's funny because it's for me it's interesting because I feel like it's solving the exact same problem, making it mm -hmm. viable, but now for a new sure. audience. So in the beginning, making it viable meant catering these developers. Right. Now making it viable means catering these enterprise architects right. and and business right. owners and CIOs and so on that also says and sits and say the way I'm running my public infrastructure, even though I'm not, I don't mm -hmm. have the cloud, that's AWS. There's so much manual overhead. My time to market suffers so much, right? I have, I have to figure out a way to not make it right. better, but to not have to mm -hmm. do it, right? And, and so that's where solutions like Netlify can come in and make a fundamental yeah. effort, right? Sure. Uh, a difference sure. where we're, we're talking like, you know, double-digit percentage savings on entire company budgets, right? Like, it's it's really a, a, a big deal. But in order to cater them well, and of course, Netlify's focus is on your digital mm -hmm. experiences. Anything that has a UI, everything that's consumed there, there's plenty in the digital stack that we do not right. touch. Just to, This is not like a silver bullet that cures mm -hmm. all, right? But for your digital experiences, um, like, you know, that's why we had to sort of add this new half of Netlify, which caters that it has this tissue mm -hmm. that says that instead of just pulling in all those new pieces that i talked to you about before when you wanted to be composable architecture now it also plugs in all your legacy systems and wraps around sure. them to create common workflows across the old and mm -hmm. the new and that requires a huge investment for us and so as a founder it's fun because in a way it feels a little bit of starting mm -hmm. over right like hey this right. is new territory no one has yeah. solved this right. before plenty of people knew it was a problem but no one has successfully gone and sold right. it. And, and so we're quite excited about our, uh, our version yeah. of this, right? Because we do think that for the first time, there's a viable solution to, to, to sure. fixing this. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that's the future for right. us is to go out and saying, hey, you know, for example, AI mm -hmm. is coming out. I think that's a great example. AI is, imagine where the car was a year and a half after it mm -hmm. was introduced. Right, we're still driving on Steam. Right. I think the reality is that all the ones that are out there saying, oh, I have the new AI solution. No, you don't. Like, there's a 0.0001% chance that this is going to be the default way in, in two years because there's just so much new technology and, and revelations and so on coming out with right. it, right? And so for someone like us, I don't need to come out and saying, hey, this is the right, right. module. I need to be able to run whatever module is right. out there, right? And so for us, again, it becomes this notion of saying, and this is really interesting because I think that as hyped as AI is, I think it's underhyped. I actually think it's, it's going to make an even mm -hmm. bigger impact. That's interesting. Yeah. However, it is interesting. However, I don't believe that we've seen any version of it that's going to stay. Like it's, it's changing right. so fast, yeah. right? So as a company, and this is really interesting, the difference it makes in driving efficiency is too big for you to not right. lean in. At the same time, as I just said, it's impossible to pick mm -hmm. right. Right, So I think what Netlify can help with is to make sure that you can choose something and then discontinue mm -hmm. it again. Like we just provide the plumbing, the infrastructure, the workflows. So, so we've sort of doubled down on this agnostic play of saying it's not to provide you with an end all, you know, this is the component, this is the way of doing it. It's to provide you with the absolute flexibility as an enterprise to say, well, I want to choose this and I want to choose right. that and so on. And I think... That oddly enough brings us back to our original vision, which was also that, you know, as a front end mm -hmm. developer, you were very stuck, right? I remember this because I sat with them in agency days and we had to ship things for implementation. Sure. 
and then it came back and it didn't look like, and that's where all my my, milestones went to die. Right. Um, (laughs) and, and, and so I, like Matt and I were just talking about why, just because you have to make a living as a developer and you're working in an right. enterprise, right? What does that mean that you, why should that translate into, well, I guess I can use the cool stuff in my hobby mm-hmm. projects. Why shouldn't you be allowed to use that Absolutely. cool new technology and your enterprises? And, and it will, because as long as there's a good return on investment for it, for mm-hmm. the enterprise, they'll embrace yeah. it, right? It's a numbers yeah. game. And so the mission here becomes to let's make it available in a viable right. manner where you can use it and discontinue it again and you can mix and match. And so for me, it's Netlify all over uh-huh. again, right? right? Um, and that also lends itself very much to what's to come, which is, oh my goodness, it's so exciting because we don't know, Yes. right? We know that we're going to change the way we're going to build things. I know that design, uh, you know, right now you can do online design like in a browser and you can hand it off and there's different companies that are trying to automate, automatically made mm-hmm. it into code. Give it a few years. It's going to be AI driven and all design is going to be code wow. by default. So designers are going to sit inside mm-hmm. websites after delivery and being able to make life changes without it, without the constraints of a site builder. Like that's one example of so many of what's about mm-hmm. to happen. And so it's really fun. And it's also a, a, a great long-term strategy for Netlify to not say we have to be one or the other in this. We just have to uh, accelerate that usage. We just have to make it viable for you to dip your toes in wherever you want when it comes to, to, to sure. these things, right? It's quite a feature you're painting, and I, I, I love it, uh, especially for some, from someone who is an insider and, and has dealt with the complexities that you've dealt with. You've had quite a journey and, and you still have a long journey ahead. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Chris, is has there ever been a moment that is like a dark night of the soul type of a moment for you when you thought, 100%. oh, my God, you know, this, we're not going to make it. No, let me just throw in the towel, yeah. and walk away from this. Can you talk about it? I think that there's a great, there's a great quote from uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, uh, where he uh, refers to a conversation with Mark Andreessen. And, um, and Ben is struggling, right? Like he, uh, you know, they, they need money they right. don't have. And, um, and then Mark says like, it's funny, you know, like, um, uh, when you're doing this startup, you either, you, you're either in a, in a state of euphoria or absolute right. terror and they shift many times every day <laughs> and they both seem to be exasperated by the lack of right. sleep. Right. right? right. <laughs> and, and I think there's so much truth to that yeah. statement, right? Like you have these victories and you're so happy and then you have this what or someone quit or something you're like oh my goodness right how are we going to come through that i think for me um as an entrepreneur um the way i sort of overall deal with it and i actually tell like because i advise so many startups and founders and i'm also an advisor for universities and 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 innovation centers and like i said i sit broadly uh, and deal with a lot of, of 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 founders but also people considering uh, starting, yeah. right, uh, a, yeah. a company. And I, I sort of liking it myself during, like, I don't gamble mm-hmm. for money. The reason I don't gamble for money has nothing to do with, it's not a principle yeah. or anything like that. No, it's simply because if I lose 50 bucks, I'm like, God damn it, right. I lost 50 bucks. That yeah. annoys me, right? It's just like I had $50 and I just lost it yeah. sort of arbitrarily right. at a, you know, a card game. But if I win 50 bucks, I wouldn't notice. Like, it completely just it gives right. me nothing, right? And so... Um, I, 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 you know, losing costs me more than winning. Ah. And it's the opposite for me for yeah. entrepreneur. 
So if, 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 if Netlify doesn't make it, I'll go out with Matt and I'll get really uh-huh. drunk. Right. And then we'll, we'll figure out, well, what do we do next? And the, the, oh, the next day I'll probably be right. hungover. Right? But, <laughs> but what I'm saying, of course, I'm saying a little bit as a joke, right? Cause we're in a pretty solid place, but, but the notion is that I take a lot more away from the satisfaction of building things, of solving things, of having feeling ownership, of being part of something larger, mm-hmm. right? Of of driving things. Then I do. Uh, then I, then then then, for example, where are we gonna? Uh, you know, how are we gonna meet payroll next right. month? Yes, that's a problem to be sure. solved. But I'll still I'll still sleep through it. It's a problem like any other problem, right? And so. I get more from being an entrepreneur than it costs me. And I think that's one of the really important notions because my first company, I started a flash production company mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, and it was just when flash and video sort of merged for these rich media sites. And we were the only game in town back in Copenhagen, Denmark. And so we took off quite rapidly. And my dear co-founder, who I'm still friends with today, we even work together today. Um, I remember him telling me back in the day, like, I just, I, I, I can't do this because I need to know that when I quit my job at, at, at 4 p.m., it's mm-hmm. done. Like I can go and focus right. on something else, right? And I think that's such a fair statement, right? And so I think what's really important is that people have to figure out who yeah. they are because otherwise they'll just, they'll yes. crumble, right, from the, the, the yeah. pressure. And so so I think like that's really important. I think another thing for me is, is also find out what drives, mm-hmm. right? I have to learn. Yes. I have to, I, I feed off other people's mm-hmm. energy. I love being, I mean, I get enthusiastic and I do that in, in social situations with others and I need to learn. So if I'm not optimizing for a place where I'm constantly evolving, then I know I'll run out of steam. And so knowing those things about what drives you, not just, I want to make a company and, and, and have it be successful, but what drives you also becomes extremely important because in those hot nights, as you talked about, right, then those are the things that are that are set that you can wrap around and saying, Hey, am I, am I in principle doing the yeah. right thing here? Do, do, do I, what do I take away from this? Is this fun? Do I want to keep doing it? And so on. Right. Um, and, and, um, um, and, and also don't be alone. Like I always say to people, I know they're solo founders. I don't recommend it. Try to do this with mm-hmm. someone else. Right. Um, and, and, you know, get good advices around you, people you can talk to and so on. So, so yes, we all have dark nights. Absolutely. But but those are some of the ways that you deal with it. Are you in principle in the right place? Should you be an entrepreneur? Are you optimizing for doing things that keeps you going and not just cannot just be your business success. It has to be, what are you doing for that business success? And what does that mean for how you thrive? as a, as a working human being. Right. So there's these things that, that I've always been sort of quite aware of that, 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 um, um, but that, that, that helped me, but I did two and a half years ago, oh, almost three years ago now, I think I, I was in a place where I felt like I was running mm-hmm. out of steam and I looked at me and, and I found out that, Hey, I'm now spending the, the, the vast majority of my time, more than 90% on scaling the company internally. And that's not what I wanted to do. I'm an yeah. ideator. I like to be facing outwards. I like to speak right. with clients and prospects and tech partners and agency partners and right. all those, right? I like the thought leaderships. I like the, where are we taking this sure. company next? And so I'm not going to be yeah. very um, that's, that's good. That's quite an insight. You were stuck in a position that was more like an internal position where you were trying to scale the company from inside yeah. out, or rather than being on the front yeah. line, 
doing what you know, ideation, and you're obviously an ideation person, that, and, and that's what drives you, and that's that's your that's your zone basically. Exactly right, and I wasn't learning enough on just doing the scaling internally, and I wasn't excited about it. And then you don't have the same successes, and and so all those things. I realized, and then I made the right mm -hmm. changes, right? And Congratulations. So and, and that's quite a deep insight that, you know, this is not me and I need to make the shift and do the things that I need to do to, to, to keep me in, in my zone, my high performance, yeah. high performance zone. Absolutely. And I also think it needs, you need a little bit of humbleness, right? A little bit. Because I see a lot yeah. of founders. You know, I see a lot of founders do this right. common mistake. They're very yeah. smart. They're very good at what they do. They, they have a successful yeah. business. It's venture funded. It's going well. They think that they need, okay, I need to keep growing. That's mm -hmm. very true as a founder. Very often, first time founder, you have to, if you, if you look the same, even a year after year, like then you're done, right? Like you have to really evolve right. all the time. However, it's very easy to fall in a trap of, I need to be good at everything. Or now it's more sort of about sort of um, uh, the overall revenue or this numbers game or, or, you know, getting the right executives. And so now that that's what I need to do. And what you at the same time, yes, you need to evolve there, but you also have to be honest to yourself about your strengths and weaknesses, right? And I see again and again, where someone has super right. strengths yeah. in one area. And then they feel like, well, you know, maybe it's that they shouldn't be um, a, a COO or CEO or something, right? Maybe they're just a fantastic right. product person. And, but then they feel really uncomfortable letting over the reins to someone else because it feels like defeat, right? right? And the reality is it's yeah. the opposite. That's exactly what's going to help you thrive, both because you get to do what you really know that you're good right. at and you love, and because your business is going to thrive because you get someone competent in there. And we all talk about this notion, I think it's a David Ogilvy uh, quote where he said, first you establish yourself a reputation of being a creative genius, and then you hire people that are smarter right. than you are, yeah. Right. And, and we all heard versions of that. And it's yeah. very true, but it's very hard to do yes. for some people, right? And I think for me, it was also saying, well, I have to let go of some things, right? In order to do what will make me happy here. Am I comfortable right. with that, right? And and what am I good at and what am I less good at, right? And I think that that is yeah. hard because there's such high expectations yeah. as well, right? And it's easy if it's sort of, well, that's a little corner out here. It's a specialty. Go and mm -hmm. hire for that. No one feels bad that they're not a financial sure. controller or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm just picking an example. Right. Maybe they yeah. do, right? But but I'm picking some yeah. sort of example, right? Uh, the, it also depends sure. on your background. Like if, let's say, you are, you have a master's degree, right? And uh, so you have an MBA. It's not going to hurt you to get a CTO. But if you are the technical founder, getting a CTO might be really sort of, oh, like, I should be that. But maybe what you need of a CTO at that stage is that not that innovation that you could drive, uh, but another layer of... I don't know, building out architectures or channeling sure. uh, feedback into the organization from uh, enterprise clients or whatever yeah. it may be. And you have to be able to spot mm -hmm. that and then act accordingly. And I think that's a thing that so many business leaders, it's not just startups, fail right. to do because there's, they, they perceive that there's risk involved. It, it feels like I'm saying I'm not good enough to, at my job. Um, and it's dancing in between me and ambition. And the ones that figure it out are the ones that win. On that point, Chris, I, uh, if, if you, and I know you work with, you're an angel investor and you mentor a lot of entrepreneurs and, and people who start the businesses. 
a case in point is that I talked to a lot of folks who have built a pretty good business, solid business. And I think you alluded to this a little bit. 10, 20, 30 employee people, 50 employee companies. And they're, they're doing well. There is mm-hmm. the, the revenues are there. There is, there is Some of them have profits. Some them, the rest have probably investment funds and things like that. So it's a solid company. They're customers. There is, there is revenues flowing. So everything is moving great. And uh, uh, they're growing, basically. So the traction is there. The growth is there. All of those things are there. And yet, one of the things that they get stuck with that they are the business, meaning that if they step back from the business, oh, yeah. the business goes away. Oh yeah. So, yeah. And I, I'm sure you've been in that situation. Oh yeah. What is what is your advice? What's some words of wisdom for folks who are stuck in that situation where they need to scale beyond themselves somehow? But I would say it's exactly what uh-huh. I did. To me, the answer is what I just said. Like right. it really is, right? Like it's that notion of saying. Where are you the bottleneck? Yes. And how are you going to remove right. yourself as yeah. being a bottleneck? That could be to up-level right. in a certain way. It could be to delegate, but it could also be to replace yourself, right? There's another notion that we all sort of, you know, hear mm-hmm. a million times when you when you follow this path of, of, of startups, is which is make yourself dispensable, right. right? Like try to, you know, delegate all your responsibility, and you right. never will. Because it's too much fun um, to, to, to get in and, and do it yourself. But I mean, but it's a very big one, right? But then you can also, like a more practical advice is maybe saying, why is it that you couldn't walk away from the business? Why is that? Right? And that could be, well, because it's my brand, right? I am the brand. Uh, It could also be that I'm the only one selling. I'm good at it, but I've never built out a sales function, right? Well, okay, then that would be the way to solve for it, right? Or it could also just be that, hey, you know, this is so small time and, and reality is I'm the only, I'm like, I'm not just selling, but I am right. the product, right? Like it's, you know, it's my design that, and then I have some helpers to help implement it, but it scales as much as right. I can do it. Right. And, um, and sometimes there isn't a, like, let's say you're an artist. There's a lot of, of, of artists that has studio productions. There very often is that limit because people want to buy a work by you. You right. are the brand. Right. So there is a scheme, but in software as a service, that should be it. It's it's easy to disassociate Um, yourself from your your brand, basically, because your your, your product is your product, not something that you are putting uh, out as yourself, you know, with with your with your name. Exactly. But it really I mean, what you're talking about in the 20, 30 people is very often production companies, consultancies, someone that sells something, not software, but something else. Right. Um, and, And so. That's what I came from, mm-hmm. consultancy, oh. right, uh, in, yeah. in agency world, right? And that's where that David David Ogilvy uh, quote comes from, right? Which is that whole notion of hire people that are smarter than you are because that's what would stand between him selling his own right. reputation yeah. and scale, right? It's exactly that. You need to have, you need to make other sure. superstars, right? And you need to do it in a scalable yeah. manner. And so I think that's when you have that bottleneck and you're it, you have to understand first decipher where is the bottleneck, right? And then hire, delegate, um, uh, abstract accordingly. If that's what you want. Like there's also this notion, like I speak to a lot of founders where what they're looking for is being their Mm -hmm. own boss, not to make a huge dent in something, right? It's just to be like, hey, I would like to, you know, know, the the dream is maybe it's a a software version of running a cafe, right? That's awesome. That's wonderful. Then go do that. For the love of God, don't go and, and right. get capital because then you like then you have goals of like, well, if you don't spend that capital in 18 months and we're going to make problems and, 
like success only looks like growth yeah. or die, right? No, then just get to that point where, where you feel comfortable in size and you're like, hey, I'm still doing quality work. And there are a lot of, of, of agencies out there and so on that succeed with that, that are saying, well, I don't want to be more than 35 people here because it's the, like we all know each other. We make great mm -hmm. quality work. It never gets diluted, so we always get new bits. We have a waiting list for clients. Uh, I live in a big enough house. Yeah. We're good, right? And then for the love of God, keep doing right. it. You won already, you know? Um, but like in Netlify's case, of course, what we did, we knew that this had, to, it was a category play, right? Like, like we have to spend money faster than we earn it. We are deeply depending on millions of people changing their, their habits and ways that will not happen as a lifestyle sure. business. That has to be a, a supersized venture back company, right? Like it, there's, there's just no right. way around it, right? Uh, if you, if you really want to change things. So I think it really depends on the problem you're trying to solve as well. But it also depends on what makes you happy, right? Again, like you can't just be governed by this notion of a, of, of a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or that you feel that this is what sure. I should be. Like this is what success like. There's no, what is, what is success yes. to you, yes. right? And on that point, Chris, so what, what makes you happy? Is it, is it business or is it something outside yeah, of business or, or both or one or the other? That's so funny because it's my favorite question. I always ask that uh -huh. if I'm in an interview or something. I always ask people, what makes you happy? Um, but rarely does anyone ask me that. Um, what makes me happy? I think it's learning, right? So I, I'm happy when I learn something new. I'm happy when I'm building. Like, hey, we're out there changing mm -hmm. the status quo. I like because it makes me become on a mission and I like sure. being on a mission, yeah. right? And if the mission is just going from 200 million users to 250 mm -hmm. and that's the mission, then I'll bow out and I'll say, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. It was fun. And right. I'll go do something else, right? Like it, it, I have to be more, more substantial than that. And then I feed off the energy of other people, mm -hmm. like as a person, right? I surround myself with passionate, enthusiastic right. people. That's yeah. how I learn. I also have ADHD and, and that sort of supercharged, hey, lots of energy. I'm super right. excited about this. Whatever it is you're excited about, I'll probably share your enthusiasm because that's just how my, yeah. my mind works, right? But but so so I, I'm happy when I'm around um, you know, smart, passionate people, uh, when I'm when I'm solving a problem, like building towards something, changing the status quo, and when I feel like I'm learning mm -hmm. and evolving. Um those, those are the things, right, that, that makes me happy. And outside of that, as a private person, I, I enjoy beauty, mm -hmm. I would say. Like art, architecture, nature, films, sure. music. I sort of very much in aesthetic and I love um, uh, and I pursue yeah. those things, uh -huh. right? Um, it, it gives me you, a lot you, of happiness. You're in San Francisco, so, so you, I'm sure you have a lot of opportunities for, for exploring the art scene and... There's All an art beautiful. scene here. There's also, uh, there's a lot of nature, right? Like we have mountains and beaches and wine country and all those things. But I'm also in the fortunate position that I travel a lot. Yeah. So um, I do. I travel a ton because I'm out there speaking to our clients or and prospects. In, in the country or outside the country? In, in the US? Both in the US and, and I'm in Europe at least six oh, to wow. eight times a year, I think. So um, yeah, I spend a lot of time there as well. And so um, that's also a great opportunity of, of, of exploring the world and, uh, and uh, seeing its, sure. its beauty. Um, I, I love this tech scene and I, and I love doing what we do, but I also, 
I need more than that, right? Um, it, 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 I also like the analog experiences and all those other things that that, in, that enriches our lives. Love the way you put it, analog experience. A technical person will always say, their the primary world is digital, and then analog is the is the alternate <laughs> universe. <laughs> for for the That's for right. the rest of That's us, right. it's analog, and then we get digital once in a while. But for for you, it's you're the opposite. So true. Yeah, uh, you're right. Guilty as charged. Analog, yes, yes, and that's important. But yeah, I I love the fact that you, you know, uh, that you love what you do. Uh, not not extremely few people on the planet uh, are in that situation, and I think you are a very lucky one. One of the, one of the few lucky ones. Yeah. And uh, and and you've done well with what you do. So when those things combine, you know, you 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 love what you do, and and you know the world is responding to what you do in a positive way. And you have this uh, feeling of making that contribution and making people's lives better, solving their problems, and and looking out at the future, which which looks very bright for you guys. So that it must be a very good 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 place to be in, very good feeling. Appreciate you telling your story, and sharing your business wisdom and and your business philosophy. I think there is tons of nuggets that uh, that you shared, and uh, uh, we can go on for another two hours. I think. But uh, maybe we can maybe uh, we can touch base good. again in about a year or two and see you know see where Absolutely. you are. Uh, would love to do that again. Um, but for now, thanks again. If someone wants to get in touch with you, if someone wants to connect with you, if someone wants to find out a little bit more about what you do, uh, is there a way for them to reach out or connect with you in some way? Absolutely, absolutely. I am um, available and. Um, social and probably more okay. on LinkedIn these sure. days, I guess. Um, I, uh, um, uh, I'm a Christian Chris Bach there. And then I am uh, available by mail, chris at netlify.com. And um, yeah, I, I'm always happy to continue the conversation, whether it's around sort of the, the future of the web or how uh, you should think about just the overall digital strategies of your business or if you want to talk about race cars <laughs> or, uh, or, or okay. art uh, or, or business philosophies or your startup that wants to get going, then, then that's, that's what I do. And, uh, and I'll I put enjoy. the contact information in, in the show notes so that folks can reach out and connect with you. Thanks again. And uh, I hope to see you soon. Thank you for having me.